The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Catholics believe. I'm going to address some questions tonight. It's been a while since we had our interview program, so I think some of these questions need to be addressed. Uh, we hear from uh, a gentleman the following question. This question is about me, actually. Uh, do I believe that post-Vatican II ordinations in the Novus Ordo are valid? And uh, I would say that, that depends. I think I might have answered this question once before in another form. But uh, I have uh, good reason to believe that they are not valid. Um, if the modern ceremony of ordination uh, that was introduced by Paul VI back in 1968 is used for the ordination of deacons, priests, or bishops, uh, that ceremony was so mutilated and the essential character of the uh, Catholic priesthood, um, as Christ established it, uh, so obscured and deliberately obscured that I think there is a very solid argument to show there's a, uh, an objective doubt regarding the validity of the, of the ordination to the priesthood, certainly, <clears throat> and the consecration of bishops as well. Of course, the validity of an ordination depends upon uh, a number of factors. There's the matter, the form, and the intention. All three of those uh, essential elements have to be present for there to be a valid sacrament. Uh, Pope Pius XII um, stated in his Motu Proprio of 1947, Sacramentum Ordinis, what is the essential form for the ordination of a, bishop, of a uh, deacon, for the ordination of a priest, for the consecration of a bishop, the modern ceremony instituted by Paul VI changed the essential forms <clears throat> from what Pope Pius XII himself had specified. Uh, the problem comes in, especially uh, when the surrounding rite of the sacraments, of the ceremonies, in a sense, redefine the terms. Even, even if one were to use uh, what in itself would be a valid form that the Church herself might recognize and use in her own ordination ceremonies, if the surrounding prayers in the ceremony had been so corrupted as to give the very words in the essential form a different meaning than their Catholic meaning, that would uh, at least call into doubt the validity even of the, the forms used, uh, which in themselves might be valid or in another setting might be valid, and a Catholic ceremony might be valid. When in the new rite of ordination of the priesthood, the words receive the power to offer sacrifice for the living and the dead are uh, deliberately removed in the new rite. Whether they've been restored or not is another question, but originally they were removed in the new rite. And uh, when the new rite removes, uh, the authors of the new rite remove the words, receive the power to forgive sins, uh, whether they've been restored or not, I don't know. But the fact is that originally they were removed, as I understand it, from the original Novus Ordo Rite of Ordination. 
we see that this was not done as a mere oversight, this was done deliberately. And uh, the very understanding of the priesthood uh, is being attacked in the new rite. And so this would call into question uh, the validity and uh, certainly um, would give objective, an objective doubt about the validity of the new rite of ordination of the priesthood, the new rite of consecration of the episcopacy. So you have um, a question of whether a, a man who is approaching the ministry in the modern church, the modernist church that has come out of Vatican II, uh, whether he has a real concept of the Catholic priesthood or not, if he intends to be a Catholic priest or not, if he intends to be a, a, a representative of the people of God, and that's it, of the assembly, as the new rite of uh, the, the, the liturgy, the mass, uh, portrayed itself originally in the general instruction uh, as a, let's say, a, a, a assembly of the people of God under the presidency of the priest, if a man is approaching ministry in the Novus Ordo, is this idea that he is presiding over the assembly, not as an Alta Christus, another Christ who is speaking with the authority of Christ in confecting the sacraments, then he would have a fundamentally, uh, not only alien, but contrary concept of the priesthood. And if he approaches ordination with that contrary concept of the priesthood, that would certainly be an impediment to being ordained a real Catholic priest, the intention wouldn't be there to be a real Catholic priest. If um, he goes to a bishop who is going to, or going to ordain him, and the bishop himself has, has a contrary concept of the priesthood, this, the, uh, the orders that he's supposed to be conferring, he has definitely an obstacle uh, which, which rejects the, the very meaning of the sacrament that he claims to be conferring. That would be a problem with him ordaining validly. Um, if the ordaining bishop consecrated, if the ordaining bishop himself is not validly consecrated because the new rite of consecration is invalid or doubtfully valid, then uh, the best we could say is that his ordinations would be of doubtful validity, which means in practice a Catholic could not avail himself of them in any way, could not touch them. Um, so there, there are a number of questions that arise here, uh, layers of questions uh, concerning the validity of the new right of ordinations. And uh, I'm just going to leave the question here, except to say that I consider these new rights of ordination to be uh, objectively doubtful and therefore practically for a, a Catholic untouchable, that we cannot uh, in any way avail ourselves of them. Um, because it is not permissible to practice even probabilissimum, so to speak, with regard to the sacraments, you have to be certain that they are valid. Um, with regard to the second question of this writer, does Father Jenkins see or have any problem with someone who wants to attend Mass at the SSPV, the Society of St. Pius V, and adore the Blessed Sacrament at a Novus Ordo Parish? Yes, I believe there is a serious problem with that. I mean, how could one see the validity of the Novus Ordo Misse, the new order of Mass, which they're basically calling the Lord's Supper, um, 
How could one see that as valid and set foot in a Novus Ordo church? Because, um, well, first of all, um, if one sees what is done with the hosts in the Novus Ordo church, how those hosts are basically parked off to the side most often in a side room, kind of a glorified uh, separate worship area and brought out and distributed there by lay people who are handing these hosts out to people, gather them all together in a pile. Uh, and he sees at the same time, by the way, the cups being given out to people to take swigs from and then abandoned off to the side and ignored during the rest of the ceremony when the thought is it's supposed to be the blood of Christ. And I know of cases where that what has been left there over there has been poured down the sink, even the sacrarium sink into the sacristy, into the ground. Uh, how could one just take for granted that this is validly consecrated? That either the, the hosts, if they are in fact wheat hosts, required for validity, and if they are grape wine, required for validity, uh, even if the matter is correct, how can one just assume that these are validly consecrated when one sees how they are treated. The way the people deal with or handle these elements um, would be an indication of their lack of belief, and especially in the minister. But if you believe this was really the body and blood of Christ, literally, truly present there, and the divine person of Christ, the Son of God, is present there, uh, one would say that his behavior betrays his lack of belief. And so it is, a, it is a sacrilege to treat what one believes as the true body and blood of Christ, his soul and his divinity, in this shabby and disrespectful way, careless way, to say the least, so I don't see how you could just assume that the masses and the Novus Ordo are valid. But I would say this too, if you believe that they are valid and you believe that is the body and blood of Christ there, present there, and you see the sacrilege that is committed in the way the uh, sacred mysteries of Christ are treated, um, you would have to say, I cannot enter a Novus Ordo church because I believe that the consecration is valid. If the consecration is valid, you couldn't even set foot in a Novus Ordo church. Why? Well, because you're saying, well, I'm going there to adore the real presence of Christ in the hosts, but I also see the way they hand out these hosts to people with no concern for the particles of the hosts falling falling to the floor, being carried through the church by people. And so I have to accept the fact that if I believe in the validity of the Novus Ordo consecrations, by entering one of those churches, I am walking around on the carpet, walking over the particles of the very hosts that I am claiming to adore. This is a, a dilemma that people... Uh, have when they when they go to the Novus Ordo, if they believe that this is truly validly consecrated, the body of Christ, 
They have to face the fact that the particles of the host are being scattered around the church. And so they are, in fact, even in their process of going up to receive the host, which they personally believe is validly consecrated, the body and the soul of Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord, they are, in fact, treading over. They're stomping over particles of the host that are dropped by those who've gone before them. Not only at that liturgy, but at other liturgies before them. And um, even if one thinks, well, they, they certainly vacuum the church occasionally, well, then they're vacuuming up the particles of the host too. Is it a fact? Yeah, it's a fact. And any priest knows that. Any priest who has, gives Holy Communion, even on the traditional Mass, we have the gold-covered plate, the communion plate. And yes, particles of the host do fall. That's why we use the plate. And that's why it's covered in gold, just as the chalice is, just as the ciborium is. Uh, and the priest will stop and occasionally place one of the particles that falls back into the ciborium because it is the very presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Novus Ordo, they don't do that. They don't care about that. So even if you go to an indult mass, so-called a Simorum Pontificum mass, if you go to an FSSP mass, or an FSP mass, where they, where they have the Novus Ordo, or they give hand communion, you can be confident that in going there, you are stomping over particles of the host that fall. You can also uh, have the uh, concern that what you're being given when you go there is a host that, was, that came to you from the new Mass, and that others who go to the new Mass in the same church might be receiving the hosts that are consecrated at the indult Mass, which you believe would be valid, and they're being handed out, handed out to people, left and right, and particles of those hosts are falling. Even if, it's, even if those hosts are not given in hand communion during your liturgy, if the, if the Novus Ordo is, is so-called celebrated there, you can be sure that the particles of the hosts that are consecrated at your indult mass are on the floor when you walk in next. And so uh, this is a dilemma. So I, yes, I do have a serious problem with that. In fact, you know, I take students to Rome and we do go through the great basilicas and the other churches of Rome. If they allowed hand communion there in Rome, then I would not be able to, to, in conscience, take my students there. If I believed that the new Mass was valid, or the liturgy celebrated there were valid, uh, but as it is, officially, uh, hand communion is not permitted in Rome. Um, but in the modern churches, if I thought that those new liturgies were valid, I could not set foot in there because I knew, I would know as a priest, I would know what happens to particles of the host when they are given in Holy Communion, even on the tongue, let alone handed out to people. So, uh, of course, my primary issue that I would have with this is going to worship in a Novus Ordo church at all. I mean, would you go into an Orthodox church where they still celebrate the old liturgy of St. John uh, Chrysostom? Would you go and adore the presence of Christ there, the Blessed Sacrament? 
No. Why? Because it's not a Catholic church. And being present there, you are giving the impression that this is where you belong, this is your faith, this is your religion, this is your church. And if it's not, you don't belong there. And furthermore, our Lord wouldn't be there either. Even if there were a valid consecration, he wouldn't be part of the Novus Ordo. It's modernism. <clears throat> Someone asked once, well, the Satanists... Uh, had some priest defect to Satanism to provide the consecrated host for satanic rituals. And uh, therefore, should we go there and worship? And the answer is, the only reason you'd go there is try to, at the peril of your life, rescue those hosts, but you couldn't go there and worship. It's absurd. So the answer is, uh, yes, I do have a problem with this, and I think it's very wrong to do this. I think it's scandalous to go there. The only thing you could uh, uh, do is if, if there was, it was certainly validly consecrated, if the Novus Ordo got their hands on a certainly consecrated host, it would be sacrilegiously. And the only reason one could justifiably go there is to rescue the host from their clutches. <clears throat> but not to worship in a Novus Ordo church by any means. So, um, so anyway, that's that's uh, questions from one one questioner here. Here's another. In reading the book The Secret of the Rosary by Saint Louis de Montfort, he encourages the wearing of the rosary to receive extra graces. Father, have you heard of this devotion? No, I, I've seen people wearing rosaries, but I didn't know that Saint Louis de Montfort encouraged this the wearing of the rosary. Some consider this to be a, a, uh, an unworthy treatment of the rosary. Rosaries are blessed ordinarily, so they're sacramentals. I, I don't see a problem with it, though, uh, except for this. I mean, we, we, there's a crucifix on the rosary, okay? And one can wear a chain with a crucifix there on the chain, and that's that's a good thing. It's a devout, devout thing. You'd have that blessed and that would be a sacramental also. Uh, is there any reason why, therefore, you couldn't wear a rosary with the crucifix hanging there? I see no problem with that either. But I do think if you're going to wear the rosary, you should wear it inside, under the clothing, as you would wear a scapular. Why? Well, because, just my own personal thought on the subject, is it creates a certain wonderment, because it is unusual, especially in this country, it is unusual, creates a certain wonderment and uh, might even be a matter of uh, drawing a certain ridicule to oneself or the rosary uh, because it is so unusual. So I would recommend if somebody is going to wear the rosary, they, they realize it's not a piece of jewelry. It is a sacramental. Um, so there, there are other sacramentals that are not made to be worn either. And if they were worn, it would create a certain admiratio, a certain admiration or wonderment in people. So if one's going to wear a rosary, it's usually used as an instrument of prayer, as you know. And I'd recommend wearing it under the clothing in any case. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um... As one would ordinarily wear the scapular or some other type of uh, sacramental that is a matter of one's devotion. So, in any case, uh, just a thought on my part. Um, 
Now, here's a question. This is my first time writing a question to what Catholics believe. I think a good topic for a show would be Sister Faustina and the Divine Mercy Devotion. Uh, this summer for World Youth Day in Krakow, Poland, Sister Faustina is going to be the patron saint, and since it is the year of mercy, the devotion will be pushed. The Vatican also has a movie planned on the history of the painting used for the Divine Mercy, as this video under two minutes in length explains. And then the, uh, the URL is given for this video of the Divine Mercy. Well, again, I think the Divine Mercy devotion has been abused by the modernists of the Novus Ordo to push an agenda of their own. Uh, notice they talk about mercy and mercy and mercy, but they don't talk about divine justice. If there's anything the people of the world need right now is to hear about the divine justice. After all, our Blessed Mother warned us at Fatima about sins of the flesh and how more souls go to hell because of sins of impurity than for any other reason. Now comes Francis, the modernist, the Pope of modernism, and he basically tells us, stop obsessing about these impure sins. Don't obsess about these things. Um, he basically tells us, don't worry about that. Flatly contradictory, what the Blessed Mother says. Why? Because God is merciful. Our Blessed Mother comes at Fatima, talking about divine justice. <clears throat> Fatima, uh, uh, Francis comes along basically saying, don't worry about that. It's mercy. It's mercy that matters. So what he's doing is he's drawing a kind of caricature of God. Um, he's basically um, giving us a kind of cartoon figure of God being all merciful, no justice. He never brings up the question of justice, except maybe against traditional Catholics. Um, so this is a greatly distorted vision of God purported, uh, proposed by Francis, the modernist. And I think this devotion of the divine mercy is used and abused by that. Is God merciful? Yes. Is he infinite mercy? Yes, he is infinite mercy. There's no doubt about it. But he's also infinite justice. And in God, justice and mercy are not mutually opposed to each other. But if we were to listen to these modernists, uh, we would never give a thought to divine justice. Uh, we would actually, uh, as Francis does, consider it to be uh, something out of bounds that we shouldn't even associate with God. All that matters is God's mercy to the modernists. That's the message. That, to us, as Catholics, is a sin that Christ, that is a sin against the Holy Ghost. There are six sins that are against the Holy Ghost. The first is despair. The second is presumption. And to presume on God's mercy that we can basically get away with anything, and God will never punish us for it, that there's always mercy just for the asking, whether or not we repent. Um, remember final impenitence, obstinacy, and sin. These are, these are sins against the Holy Ghost that rule out forgiveness. They, they prevent forgiveness because they absolutely prevent repentance. And God, God cannot forgive sins for which we are not repentant. That is the one thing required of us, really. Um, satisfaction, yes, where possible. We have to have the willingness to make satisfaction for the damage we do by our sins. 
But the absolute baseline requirement, the conditio sine qua non, even the matter, the very matter of in the sacrament of confession, of penance, is repentance on our part, true contrition for our sins, a hatred for sin, and a firm purpose of amendment. If we don't have that, there can be no forgiveness. It's not possible. That's why all of these sins are sins against the Holy Ghost that cannot be forgiven in this world or in the next, as our Lord said. And to hear Francis talk, um, this this is completely, the whole idea is, is completely abandoned by him. Uh, and even held up to ridicule and condemnation by him. That uh, we have to repent and discontinue our sins to receive forgiveness. Everything he says is about divine mercy. He does not talk about divine justice. You get the impression he doesn't even believe in it. Uh, that's why I say he gives us a, a cartoon figure, a character of God. His, his um, figure of God is more from the comics than it is from sacred scripture. Uh, so um, this this divine mercy uh, devotion has replaced the the Catholic image of the Sacred Heart, which we've always believed was the devotion that God had reserved for the end times. Uh, in fact, um, when the hearts of men grow cold, our Lord responds by showing us His Sacred Heart. And this is much more than just some some doughy-eyed, dewy-eyed figure in a white robe with two rays of light coming out of his chest, one kind of pinkish and the other kind of whitish. Um, this is the image of our Lord's own heart. It's a heart of flesh taken from this world, material world. A heart of flesh, and yet the heart of, of God, the very Son of God, is the person... Whose, who, whose heart that, that is, that heart belongs to him. It is his personal heart, so to speak. And the image of the Sacred Heart is surrounded by piercing thorn. Um, the image of that Sacred Heart is, is opened, is sliced open by the spear of the soldier and bleeding. Uh, the image of the Sacred Heart is aflame with love for mankind. This is the image that our Lord showed St. Margaret Mary back in the 1680s. And the divine mercy and devotion has just practically obliterated that devotion in the Novus Ordo. It has simply replaced it. Well, it isn't meant to coexist with the devotion to the Sacred Heart. It is meant to replace it, just as the new Mass was not meant to coexist with the traditional Mass. It was designed to replace the traditional Mass. And for the first 20 years... That's exactly what they tried. They would not allow you to have the traditional Mass, absolutely forbidden, verboten. you had to use the Novus Ordo Mass, period. It was only after Archbishop Lefebvre consecrated bishops uh, to, cons to ordain traditional priests that they even budged an inch on that and allowed the indult Mass, because they saw that their effort to completely obliterate the traditional Mass wasn't going to work. So those who go to the indult mass now should think about this, that this was a, 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 a tactic of the Novus Ordo, the modernists, to keep them on the hook. And they're going along with it. 
and falling right into the trap. But uh, in any case, so the divine mercy devotion has the semblance of Catholicism, <clears throat> but the way it's presented by the modernists, it is not. It is anti-Catholic. <clears throat> it is being used as a weapon against the faith of Catholic people, and it is meant to destroy, undermine at least, and not destroy devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, which shows, which shows the ingratitude of men, their, their contempt and their negligence to the Sacred Heart of our Lord, which shows our Lord's suffering for them, his redemptive suffering for them. Now the Christ is not a suffering Christ. He's just like E.T. coming out of the back of the ambulance in his white flowing robe with light coming out of his chest now. And that's it. Just like in their churches, you don't see the suffering Christ, you see the risen Christ kind of superimposed over a cross, which kind of blends into the background. But you have the risen Christ now. And um, that is, to say the, the least, that is Protestantism. But that is to go with their new mass, which is not the unbloody sacrifice of Calvary. Definitely not. But it is, it is a, a, an assembly of the people of God under the presidency of the priest to celebrate the memorial of the Lord, quote-unquote. So uh, this divine mercy devotion does the work of the Jansenists, it does the work of the, of, uh, the Masons, it does the work of the Modernists, insofar as it tries to undermine and ultimately destroy the devotion to our Lord's Sacred Heart, showing his suffering. There you see his real mercy and his suffering, but there you also see the need for us to repent and to return to God and put away, not only put away our sins, but actually, with true contrition, hate our sins, because they're evil. And they drive God from our soul. Uh, that is what is lacking in this, in this modernism of the Novus Ordo. And I'm afraid the divine mercy devotion, which otherwise might have been perfectly fine in context, is totally taken out of context in the context of modernism, it is just downright bad. It's wrong. Uh, here's the question on modesty. Dear Father, maybe I shouldn't let this bother me so much, but many of our own traditional Catholics dress the same as their pagan neighbors. I know of some who used to dress and act as modest Catholics who now wear leggings as pants along with tank tops, etc., does God change his mind as to what is modest as the fashions change? I used to say something when I, I've seen a fellow Catholic in a modest dress, but I no longer do because they think that I'm just old-fashioned and don't listen anyway. Our priest doesn't preach much on modesty, but I've heard good, some good sermons on modesty from Father Martin Skierke and Bishop Santé, who both have strict standards on modesty. I've read that in a man's mind, leggings are no different than being naked. I do like them for wearing in the cold of winter underskirts to keep legs warm, which is what they are intended for. Also, did you know that t-shirts and tank tops used to be considered underwear when I was young? I know this dates me. I think that a traditional Catholic who dresses immodestly or a parent letting their children dress immodestly 
are will be judged by God more than those in the world because seculars don't know any better, but Catholics should know better. Um, and let's see, she then goes on to give me a PS here. But I, I think that the point is uh, well, well made here. Uh, there's an enormous amount of immodesty among traditional Catholics. There, you see, you'll, you'll find traditional Catholics more or less, okay? Uh, if, if the basic requirement to be a traditional Catholic is you go to a Latin Mass, I mean, that, that leaves a lot of room in life for so many other things where you're simply not practicing the traditional Catholic faith. <coughs> obviously, I think it's obviously anyway, that if one really is a traditional Catholic, uh, it means one is practicing the traditional Catholic faith. What is religion but putting your faith into practice? And there are definitely those who do go to the traditional Latin Mass on Sundays who are not traditional Catholics. Why do they go there? I don't know. I guess, is it a matter of taste? Is it a matter of being different? Is it a matter of being retro? Is it a matter of being a hipster? As someone just uh, explained to me the meaning of those terms. Um, I don't know what their motivation is. Maybe they just find it uh, more worthy of them, or they find something about the Novus Ordo personally offensive, or their family goes, or whatever else. I don't know what the motivations are. But it does make me wonder <coughs> why someone would leave the traditional Mass and then, and then live like a pagan, only to, to return the traditional Latin Mass on a Sunday. And for an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, um, pretend to be a traditional Catholic, and then go out and resume the pagan life again. Why would somebody uh, come to Mass dressed modestly and then go out and uh, throw off the modest clothing and immediately change into something that was very worldly and very revealing, very immodest, very decadent, mm -hmm. very provocative? Why? Why would they do that? I don't know, what are they thinking? The worst of it is, why would they even come to the traditional Mass dressed improperly, dressed immodestly? This, to me, is an abomination. Don't they realize how they are insulting God by showing up dressed that way? Uh, they come to a traditional Mass, but they might as well be going to worship a pagan god or goddess in a pagan temple. They might as well be going to worship Baal or Belial. Uh, what are they doing there? dressed like they're dressed for a pagan ceremony in a traditional Catholic church. They should, I mean, they really should be driven out uh, with sharp sticks or whatever. They should be, clubs should be gotten out. They should be driven out of there. They have no business being there. Um, the, the, the nerve that they have of showing such contempt for God dressed, coming dressed that way. Now, maybe, maybe they're so corrupt in their mind, they have no a clue as to what is modest or immodest anymore. But if they're, if they're older, then I don't see how that's excusable. If they're children, well, where are their parents? Are they orphans? You find sometimes uh, the parents themselves dress immodestly and therefore teach the children themselves to dress immodestly which, in my mind, tells me that these parents may very well go to hell. They may very well lose their souls because they're giving scandal to their own children and they're making scandals of their own children. They're teaching their children in turn to scandalize others. And this is such a fundamental responsibility of parents to teach their children modesty. 
that if they fail that, I don't see how they can how they can escape losing their souls in the end. Um, and if they do repent uh, finally and and recognize what they've done and seek forgiveness and receive absolution sincerely, I still think they're going to have an enormous purgatory of temporal punishment due to sin because of the damage they've done to the souls of others, beginning with their own children and through their children to the souls of other people around their children. Um, I think there's, there's a tr tremendous bitter punishment waiting for them. Uh, but then you have parents who are afraid of their children who have given up and simply say, well, yes, it's true. My daughter insists on wearing these clothes and I can't seem to stop her. She doesn't listen to me. Mostly girls. It can happen to boys, too, who can be immodest. But, you know, girls do tend to want to show themselves off more than the boys. And it's a fact. I'm sorry, but it's just the way it is. It's true. Um, and um, and they, they tend to be pretty much incorrigible because you bring something up to them. They get really, really huffy. And just like the abortion clinic, if you talk to a woman about aborting your children, against aborting her children, you see how she gets so furious. It's almost like looking into the eyes of the devil himself when you try to confront someone going in for an abortion. You get that same look when you stop even a traditional Catholic girl uh, and tell her she's immodestly dressed. So I can understand parents having to deal with this question and being uh, reluctant to do it. But that's your job. That's what parents are for. And you have to brave the withering blast of, of, uh, of anger and whatever else comes from the children. If your children don't have that respect for you, you've already lost them. I'm sorry, don't be afraid to enforce the rules of dress because you say, well, if I push too hard on this, I'll lose my children. You've lost them. If you are not capable of, of telling them right from wrong, they're gone. You've already lost them. You've got nothing to lose except your soul now. So you might as well just tell them outright. You're not going to lose them any more than you already have at that point. Um, so um, I, I would say this much, though. Look, the fact is, when, when dictators uh, round up their enemies, their political enemies, when they herd them into concentration camps, uh, when they crowd them into prisons and dungeons, the first thing they want to do is dehumanize them. They dehumanize them because then they can be subjected to torture and starvation and mass death without any qualms because they're dehumanized. They're dehumanized in the eyes of their captors they're dehumanized in their own eyes. What's the first thing they do in the process of dehumanization? They strip them. They strip, take their clothes away. Because what is one thing that actually uh, separates, separates human from non-human life? Across the board. Across the board. Even the evolutionists who say that, uh, you know, we have the, the apes, the chimpanzees, and so on, they have to acknowledge that there's one thing that is a clear-cut barrier between us and them that distinguishes us, even if they don't recognize any other distinction. That is, we wear clothes. We clothe ourselves. And, uh, and to show how we are, we start clothing them. We put clothes on them. And we, we dress them up in our cartoons and in our shows. 
in our animal acts. We put clothes on them. <laughs> Got to humanize them. This is humanizing them by putting clothes on them. And so the enemy knows to de dehumanize the enemy by stripping the clothes off them. And the enemy of mankind, Satan, knows the significance of that very well. And he wants to strip everyone to dehumanize them. To say you're nothing but an animal. Nothing but an animal. That's all you are. So act like one. Think like one. Be treated like one. Live like one and die like one. Right? And so the, the lines between the animal and the human are being blurred now. Now we've got animal rights. We've got all this stuff and animals are thinking now. Just as we're making uh, uh, artificial intelligence and machines, so we also see the ability of every time an animal is able to put blocks in a certain order, we say, oh, the animal has the use of reason, baloney. That's a bunch of baloney. And the idea is to try not to humanize the chimp, but to animalize the human being. Uh, this is what Satan wants to do, and he's being very successful at it. So uh, we have to admit that what the, the most obvious distinction between a human physically and a man, <clears throat> no matter how hairy the man might be or how bald the, the, the animal might be, or how they walk or whatever else, we see that man, human beings wear clothes. And we also see the more primitive people are, the less clothes they wear. The more advanced the civilization, the more clothing they wear. And that takes me to the second point. That we see that the way to honor someone is to give him a special mark of his excellence by giving him something to wear. By giving him an article of clothing that distinguishes him. Whether it's a royal purple robe to wear for a king, or a crown, or something like that, an epaulette for an officer, right? Marks on the, on the shoulders and so on, various insignia. These things, to us, designate not only humanity, but excellence, a special excellence. So we clothe what we respect, and we use that clothing as a mark of honor and respect shown to someone who has an excellence about them. So again, stripping them is a matter of showing disrespect and contempt and really is a matter of dehumanizing them. It always has been and it always will be. So when we raise our children, even from the littlest age, like three and four years old, to run around, I mean, children have no concept of this, they will run around in their birthday suits, little three- and four-year-olds. They will, unless we teach them otherwise. They have to learn these things. And otherwise, they will just run around like that. If we let them run around like that, we are basically saying we're just raising animals. And we shouldn't be surprised if they grow up to think of themselves that way, too. The modesty, uh, the whole idea of modesty and dress has to be learned by the children from the earliest age. If they grow up accustomed to wearing little or nothing, 
that's how they're going to think. That's what they're going to think is normal. You can't just decide, well, now that she's seven, or now that he's ten, or whatever, now we have to start putting clothes on. It doesn't work that way. Parents, well, I'm afraid there are parents who are going to go to hell for this. They're going to lose their souls for this. Um, horribly enough, it's true. They're degrading their children. They're animalizing their children. They're often animalizing themselves. So um, what you say here, dear writer, is, is so true. It's a major fault of these would-be traditional Catholics. They, they style themselves. Maybe it comforts them to think, I'm going to the traditional Latin Mass, so I'm special. Uh, it just makes you a hypocrite, is what it does. If it doesn't have the practical effect in practicing the entire traditional Catholic religion, you say, well, I'm going to go to the traditional Latin Mass, but I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm not going to practice abstinence on Friday. I can go to the Latin Mass, traditional Latin Mass, but I don't want the traditional Catholic religion as such, just pieces of it. Picking and choosing, well, you're making up your own religion then, which is a hybrid religion of, that, of, the, of the Church, the Catholic Church, and of the world. That is, again, modernism. You're still a modernist. And uh, perhaps the worst form of modernist. Picking and choosing a smorgasbord, smorgas, smorgasbord approach to your religion, uh, taking the things you like, rejecting the things you don't like. Well, one of the most important things for a traditional Catholic parent to do is teach his or her children modesty, a sense of modesty, and especially in dress and how they present themselves in the world, how they even regard themselves in their own mind, how they present themselves to the world. And uh, Catholic parents who don't do that are scandalizing their children and through their children, scandalizing the world. And they're going to have a terrible price to pay for that. Uh, well, I'm going to stop here because I've already been talking for, I guess, about 40 minutes. I'll pick up questions where we left off here. And I thank you very much uh, for listening. Please uh, uh, be willing to send in questions if you have them, some observations if you have them. Uh, be patient, though. We'll, uh, even though I may talk for 40, 45 minutes, it's hard to cover everything. But I will try to get to questions and observations that you send in. I do pray for you. May God bless you. And I ask your prayers for me and for all of our traditional Catholic priests of the Society of St. Pius V.